It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. That's clnsradio.com slash LHRbook. But for now, we know why you're here. To listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics Beat. Brought to you by lynda.com. Now, on with the show. Beware the Ides of March. Of course, just beware of March in general if you're the Boston Celtics. What a month so far. Seems like baseball, doesn't it? The Celts playing virtually every night here. I guess it's a lot of fun for you as a fan. I'm not sure how fun it should be as players and coaches, though. But, hey, it's March 15th. Yes, the Ides of March, except it's 2015, not 44 B.C., and my name is not Julius Caesar. I wish it were, but this is Larry H. Russell. This is the Celtics Beat Podcast. We are being brought to you today by Peak Organic Brewing Company and Lynda.com. Another stacked show, longtime NBA sports writer Ian Thompson, now NBA.com, will be our guest. We'll be joined by him a little later in the show, but let's get down to some business right now and talk about, once again, another real strong week for the Celtics. Whew. Sorry, I need to catch my breath here. It was that busy of a week. Well, we can start with last night's great win against the white-hot Indiana Pacers, but we won't. Let's go all the way back to the beginning of the week, way back Sunday against the Orlando Magic. In the case of evaluating the overall progression of the team, I guess there's reason to rule the loss a little bit, only because that's just a game you like to see the Celtics win. And it certainly looks silly to agonize over that loss right now, especially when we should all be evaluating this marathon season and the seasons in general and bigger pictures here. But I hearken back to a column Rich Conti wrote this week, which is actually running right now on clnsradio.com, where he was kind enough to give me a shout-out in his piece this week. And as we're looking for this team to grow and improve, we want to see this team take steps and enter different stages of overall progression of the team. You know, Rich quoted me, oh, actually he quoted an advanced scout whom I've spoken to, where we discussed the four stages of the team. You know, with stage one being being able to consistently beat bad teams at home. And I think the Celtics have now passed that stage with flying colors as they've won not just eight of nine here at the TD Garden, but... They really haven't had a bad home loss to a subpar team since all the way back to Brooklyn, which was the day after Christmas, believe it or not. 
Stage two, I believe that's pretty much where the Celtics are trying to get past right now. And stage two is the the ability to consistently beat bad teams on the road. I still don't think the Celtics are they quite there quite yet. If you're interested, stages three and four are stages three is consistently beating playoff teams at home. And I guess you can take a while to guess what stage four is. But despite all these great wins, it still looks like they might still be stuck in that second stage. And first off, that's not a bad thing, right? I mean, especially when one considers all the improvement that's transpired here over the last couple of weeks. But this thing, this project, if you will, this the Boston Celtics uh, rebuilding and this Boston Celtics in 2015, I mean, this is way ahead of schedule, the fact that we're actually... Uh, you know, complaining about this. I don't even want to say complaining in the word, but who could have imagined we'd be talking about this type of substantial team progression where we actually be critiquing this group for not passing these certain stages? Because, hey, I mean, let's get into all the awesomeness that did occur this week for the Boston Celtics. If anything, that game maybe fired up the team a little bit. It added some serious incentive the following night when the team played very inspired basketball for four quarters and picked up a crucial win in Miami against a team they're battling for in the postseason with in the Heat. Team's already lost two games to Miami, so if any if this comes down any tiebreakers, which it most certainly may, that was pretty much a game the Celts had to have, and they definitely played like it. They got Miami here at the end of the month with a chance to even up a season series, so that could be a crucial game to pick up. But obviously in that Miami game, it was Isaiah Thomas time once again. He had another huge fourth quarter and one of the highlight plays of the season, in my opinion, picking up that huge and one late in the fourth that really, I don't want to say sealed the game, but that was pretty much the pivotal basket. Of course, he did fall very hard on his back, and then he injured himself, and he's been out here these last few games. But that play... And, well, not just that play, but his overall play in general has really come to define this team. And you can see the kind of effect it's having on these players on the court and now even off the court. Not on just on the players, but, I mean, even on the fans who have truly come to love this team. Because as he's been out these last few games, and first off, thank God the team has been sitting him, by the way, because 5'8 guards who are that aggressive, they need to be handled with care. But as he's been out, his attitude, his feistiness, his mindset, it still seems to be rubbing off on the rest of the team as they really continue to play some truly inspired basketball. I mean, hey, I have to admit, going into Wednesday night's contest when I heard that he was out, I was tremendously concerned. I mean, first off, it was the Memphis Grizzlies, the third best team in the NBA record-wise, and a team the Celtics match up terribly with because of their size. But I was primarily concerned that there'd be a letdown that there wasn't going to be that energy that Thomas brings off the bench on a night-in-a-night-out basis for this team since he was acquired uh, via the Phoenix Suns at the trade deadline. Because not only has Thomas been instrumental by bringing that type of energy off the bench and obviously the ability to the obviously the abilities that he has that leads the Celtics to you know scoring more points than the other team. But what his energy and what his fire seemingly does for the confidence and the overall morale for the team, it's very much in the abstract. And him not being there Wednesday, but that now, that that his feistiness, that never-say-die mantra, that has clearly become the identity of the team. And it continued to be there even in his absence, and I'm ever so impressed with that. And this is what really has me 
and this is why I'm very, very excited here, is that we're seeing this kind of culture now. It's still itself into this organization, and that means a whole lot. Certainly meant a whole lot Wednesday, right? Because that Grizzlies game, once again, along with the Atlanta game just before the All-Star break, a trademark victory in this 2014-15 NBA campaign. Not only was it a great win, obviously beating an elite defensive team, a championship contender, the second-best team in the Western Conference, third-best overall team in the NBA— but it was a great game. Obviously, the phenomenal play call out of the timeout by Brad Stevens, the Marcus Smart, and one more more can you say about that play. But just the overall execution at the end of games. Does the beginning of the season with Rajon Rondo here butchering the fourth quarter on a night-in and night-out basis not seem like it was last season? Like it was almost just a completely different time, like in a separate year? Does this not have just an entirely different feel from just a few months ago? It's truly amazing. And it's even leaving me a bit flabbergasted that they could have that kind of improvement in that aspect in just a short couple of weeks. That's something that usually takes years. One thing, though, that I'm going to be keeping my eyes on, and this is of concern as I said this back on the show on March 1st. I said it on the show last week. I've talked about it on Twitter. I've mentioned it in my Collins is... I believe that, you know, I feel that this team will eventually run out of gas, and I think that's what's going to be their undoing in their quest for the eighth seed here. And that's certainly better than them not making the playoffs because they aren't good enough because by Eastern Conference standards, hey, they clearly are. First off, haven't these last few weeks shown that with the types of wins that this team has added to their resume? But, I mean, this team as presently constituted, let alone what they have going for them in the future. And we'll get into that with our guest Ian Thompson in just a few minutes here. This team is presently constituted. They're better than Brooklyn. They're better than a Miami or a Charlotte. I even think that they're better than the Bucks, who operate the sixth seed, for goodness sake. But obviously with all the roster turnover at the beginning of the season, that just got them behind the eight ball, and that's forced them to play with some serious catch-up. And there's good and bad in that. Obviously, it's instilled an urgency in these young players, which we love. But how long is this going to last? Because the human body for anyone, even young professional athletes in peak physical condition, I mean, it can only take so much, not just physically, but mentally. And these are a ton of games. I thought Friday night against Orlando, that served as a bit of a warning sign. Normally, one would think that'd be a prime game for the Celtics just roll along in bad Orlando team that's even worse on the road. And more importantly, one would have thought that, that game would have been a serious revenge contest after what Orlando handed the Celtics earlier in the week with that ugly loss, but you kind of saw the Celtics just didn't really have it mentally for much of that game. Thankfully, Evan Turner went nuts with a career game, but that was a game where I thought the signs of fatigue were possibly setting in. But who knows? Obviously, that's something we got to watch for here because it certainly didn't catch up to them last night when I actually almost surely figured it will. They put together another incredible performance against a smoldering hot Pacers team, the best team in the All-Star break, on the road, the second night of a back-to-back, where once again there are contributions from different members of the roster, which is becoming such a hallmark of this team. And it's what's not to love about that? I mean, you go back to Friday night, you got a great performance from Phil Pressey, who hadn't seen action in a very long time. Earlier in the week, you saw Gigi Tatomi have some nice games. Even last night, he had, he had only one bucket, but I thought he made some nice plays. Jonas Jarepko's had his moments. Last night, I mean, what can you say about Jay Crowder, who's done so much of the yeoman's work over these last few weeks? 
I mean, everyone's had their time to shine here. Everyone's clearly buying into the team philosophy, and I think that kind of readiness, as well as the execution that we're seeing on the court, by the way, particularly on the offensive end, where we're seeing incredible ball movement and a team that clearly enjoys playing with one another with the way they share the basketball, the way they interact in the huddle, and on the bench and support of their teammates. And that's such a credit to Stevens in that he's been able to keep everyone on the roster engaged and everyone on the roster too, in the words of Bill Belichick, do their job. But I do believe we would be keen to keep our eyes on the, any physical or mental deterioration in this team as these games and all this travel racks up here. And I hope that if this team eventually does slip up and maybe drop a few games, I hope people do realize that schedule circumstances here and we don't have short memories and remember this stage of the season where there's been tremendous growth in the team. Because I know I will. That's why I'm sort of letting it out now. But I do believe that this schedule will catch up to this group. And I do hope I'm wrong, but my prediction is I do think that's what's going to keep the Celtics from playing postseason basketball in 2015. Not talent, not in-game execution, not chemistry, definitely not coaching, as I think it's safe to say the Celtics have their guy there. What can you say about Brad Stevens? But based out of the circumstances of Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics having to do their job of appropriately rebuilding this team the right way to put them, unfortunately, had short-term effects, as we all come to expect, and the team got into a bit of a hole at the beginning of the season, and now it's going to be a challenge in itself for these guys on the team right now to catch up. But a challenge that I think Celtics Nation is reveling in and certainly willing to see play out. Like I said, not just for 2015, not just for the final few weeks of the season, but beyond, because as we all know with the Boston Celtics, that's what has truly been all about. The grand scheme of things, the big picture, which, by the way, is something that we'll get into with Ian Thompson of NBA.com on the other side of the break. This is Larry H. Russell, and you're listening to Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio. Hey, this is Nick Gelso, co-owner and founder of CLNS Radio. Today's podcast is brought to you by Lynda.com. Lynda.com is the home of expert video tutorials. Because you're such a loyal listener of CLNS Radio, and it's 2015, you want to kick the new year off in style, claim your free trial today from CLNS by going to Lynda.com slash CLNS. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com. Slash CLNS. Welcome back on into Celtics Beat, presented by Lynda.com and Peak Organic Brewing Company. This is Larry H. Russell, and I now have the privilege to be joined by longtime veteran of the professional basketball media. Covered the Celtics for the Boston Globe back in the, during the glory days of the 1980s, now with NBA.com. The one and only Ian Thompson. Ian, thanks so much for joining us this Sunday on Celtics Beat. Hey, glad to be here, Larry. Thank you. Now, you wrote a great feature on Danny Ainge back just about a month ago now, believe it or not. Great feature on NBA.com. I'd love to tell everyone who's listening to head on over to NBA.com and check it out, titled Danny Ainge's Balancing Knack. I would love to tell everybody to read it, but my guess is everybody who's listening to the show already has. But I guess read it once again. It's that good. Great stuff from Ian as usual. Anyways, you wrote this about a month ago, and this was before that deadline deal where Danny Ainge and the Boston Celtics acquired Isaiah Thomas for the expiring contract of Marcus Thornton 
and uh, what a 20% off coupon for le- for select items at Bed Bath and Beyond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and that's not the end of it for for Danny, obviously. And who knows if Isaiah Thomas is even um, going to be with the Celtics two or three years from now. I think he's just in this position of trying to acquire as many different uh, players and draft picks as he can in hopes of someday someday sooner and later replicating, you know, the summer of 2007. And so they're about a year and a half, maybe a bit more into this process. Last time it took them three or more years to build up everything they needed to make those trades and still have enough left over to win the championship. So I still think there's a ways to go. It, it takes a long time to build up the stock that you need to be able to make those moves. But anyway, yeah, when I was talking to Danny, he was in the middle of all that, uh, and I had no hint that he was going to make uh, this trade for Isaiah, obviously. But um, he seemed very confident about where the Celtics are and where they're headed. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the entire organization is – I sort of really want to make a comparison. Obviously, you did a pretty uh, substantial study on it, and you were also around these areas during the original rebuild as well. When I was talking to Wick Grosbeck and uh, Rich Gotham about a month ago, they mentioned how the Celtics were in a, quote, cleaner place than where they were back from 03 to 07. Where do you sort of stand on that? I mean, obviously, the the team, flexibility-wise, is maybe a little bit more to work with, but... Where do you think, if you want to sort of compare rebuilding stages, where do you sort of compare now to th- that era? I, I see where they're coming from, but from my point of view, and obviously I'm not privy to anything close to the information that they are, but, but just from my point of view, they're in a weaker position because back then they had Paul Pierce as a magnet. So that was a great starting point to have someone like him. You add Ray Allen, all of a sudden you just add one more player in Ray Allen, and now you're attractive enough to to get Kevin Garnett to want to come. Uh, when you look at the Celtics right now, they they don't have anything close to Paul Pierce on their roster. They would have to add two players, I think it's fair to say, if they ever wanted to attract the, the ultimate difference maker, whoever that would be. Um, now, let's also point out that the league may have changed uh, since then. Uh, we'll see how the Atlanta Hawks do in the playoffs, but it may be that you don't need that model of having three great players to win the championship going forward. There may be so much parity in the league. Uh, it may be more of a teamwork uh, dynamic, like we're seeing from the Atlanta Hawks, uh, like we saw from the Spurs, uh, albeit the Spurs had great players on their roster too. But it may be something like that that enables the team to use teamwork and the style of play to overcome uh, greater talent on other teams. Nonetheless, I, I just think it may be they may be more efficient right now in the way they're building the team, but I think nothing trumps the talent that they had in Pierce back then. One of the things that was interesting how you mentioned how they're obviously there's that three superstar model and you could even say that Danny Ainge is almost sort of a pioneer in the industry in in building a team that way and obviously it wasn't about just accumulating three superstars and making it work and obviously everyone now beginning to just obsess over that model but even go back to valuing first rounders I mean we know when Ainge was accumulating all those back from 03 to 07 a lot of people then I mean they were mocking him like oh you can't you know those players are just going to be fringe role players or out of the league in a few years 
can only win with high lottery picks, with stars, you know, trade Pierce for Corey Maggette or Stroh Miles Swift, and we all remember that. I wonder how the organization feels now about that with the Celtics, where everyone just now seems to be patting them on the back, or as opposed to back then, I mean, that wasn't the case in terms of, uh, you know, the media really sort of lauding of what they're doing. No, and I was one of them. I was one of the people that thought that uh, that was skeptical that it would work out, that uh, you couldn't win without high laundry picks, and um, <clears throat> and that that the players that they had would not have enough value to nut stars in return in trades. I, I was on the wrong side of that. And um, so, you know, you look at it from that point of view, it's, I, I think you have to admit, we have to, we have to admit right now that we don't know what's going to happen in the future. This, this is all very unpredictable. Um, there may not be a player when the Celtics are ready to make a, a trade, when they finally uh, peaked in terms of the assets that they have to make a trade, there may not be anybody available. Especially when you look at the way the salary cap is saying up now, there's going to be no no team in the league is going to have to trade a player for financial reasons. I mean, nobody um, uh, in the summer of 2017, when 20, yeah, 2017, 2016, when the new TV money comes in, uh, everybody's going to be brimming over with cash, and there's going to be a lot of free agents. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's going to be harder than ever to make the kind of trade that he wants to make. So, but that's what we're saying right now. This is all uncharted territory. We don't know how it's going to play out. And I, I think it is instructive to look back on, on 2007 and see that that didn't play out the way a lot of people, including myself, thought it would. But even is that more of a testament to the Celtics' pragmatism? Because, I mean, I think that, you know, I know I read this from you with, with Rick Grossbeck, and I actually even spoke to them myself about it, that that's just sort of how they're going about this and that they're trying to create a situation where they have as many options as possible. I mean, you look at what the Philadelphia 76ers do, are doing. For them, it's just, oh, we're just going to stink until we get, you know, some player from the lottery that's going to save us. Or even the Lakers, where they seem to be pretty much all in on Kevin Durant in a few years, where it's just, I mean, hopefully this cap space will get us something. Whereas the Celtics, I think they just seem to be creating as many options as possible. And even if that may be, say, sacrificing a few percentage points with the ping pong balls or obviously, you know, playing the card, which I personally hate of, oh, nobody wants to come to Boston. I think that they've sort of gotten rid of that. If they certainly create a good enough situation, I think they could certainly, you know, convince anybody to come here. But I think that's more of a testament to what, you know, the, the actual management philosophy is right now in that it's not really just one set plan. Well, to me, what they're doing right now is they're, they're doing the best they can under the circumstances. It's, it's really, to me, it's, I'm agreeing with you. To me, it's really simple what they're doing. Um, you know, in the game, the, the coach will always say you have to take what the defense gives you. Well, the marketplace, this is what the, it's, it's giving the Celtics right now. The, the best that Danny could do when he could see that, that the last team with Garnett and Pierce uh, and Doc had, had ended its run, the best he could do was to get draft picks for, for those people. And so he did. Uh, you know, and he, he wanted to trade for Kevin Love, but he couldn't. So you just keep doing the best you can with what you have. And in this case, the best he can do right now is to acquire the draft picks. That's what's available to him. And so he's 
storing those up, and those will have value. They definitely have value. Um, they may not be the hot commodity when every team in the league has tons of cap space and isn't thinking about long-term uh, growth through the draft. They may not be the hot commodity, but on the other hand, that that change in uh, in perspective may also help the Celtics, for all we know right now. I mean, if everybody else is looking at free agency and they kind of cool on the draft for a couple of years, that may be a great time to have a lot of draft picks. You may really be able to clean up on the draft, for all we know. So, uh, so um, you know, I'm expecting the Lakers to make a big run at Rajon Rondo this year and, and, and uh, try to have enough players there to, to uh, by the time a big one like Durant does come in. Not a bad idea for them. Um, and the Sixers, I, I see them. It's not like they're – I don't see them trying to lose on purpose so much as just trying to go for the best long-term talent they can get even if it means that player is injured during the rookie year, whether it's Joel Embiid or Noah Noel, or they've moved Saric over to Europe for a couple of years to, to keep getting better. They're thinking long-term. Um, everybody's got a different point of view, and this is the Celtics' point of view, and uh, I think Danny has earned uh, a benefit of the doubt that he didn't have last time uh, based on how well things did work out for him last time. Can I sort of put you on the spot and ask you what sort of of those three teams you mentioned, and we won't, we'll even throw the New York Knicks in there, the four sort of maybe most notable name teams in the NBA. What sort of re- – I'm going to put you on the spot and ask your opinion. What rebuilding situation do you think has the best chance of succeeding between Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and Los Angeles? You know, it's a great question, and I honestly have no idea what the answer is because there it's it's – Four entirely different models. They're each trying to do something different. Um, the Knicks have Carmelo Anthony, who is basically what Paul Pierce was uh, going into the summer of 2007. I mean, Paul was uh, the leader of a terrible team. Uh, he was uh, subject to some of the criticism that we're hearing about Carmelo right now. And the Celtics albeit they had a lot more assets going for them than the Knicks do right now, they were able to turn things around quickly. So the Knicks have a drawing card that none of these other teams have in Carmelo. Uh, the Lakers are still a destination, uh, even though their, their ownership and their leadership is in flux, and it's hard to gauge how much confidence the rest of the league, the, the top players will have in that ownership of the Lakers. But they are still Lakers, so if they go out and land the next great player, then they're right back on top. Are they going to? No idea. Nobody knows. Uh, and the Sixers, what if Joel Embiid gets healthy and turns into a top-ten player in the league, the best center in the NBA, which he definitely could? I mean, he would have been the number one pick overall if he hadn't been hurt. So what if he gets healthy? If he does, three years, two or three years from now, the Sixers look like geniuses, truly. The guy Saric comes over from Europe. They trade Nerlens Noel for somebody really good. They use their draft picks over the next couple of years. They're going to look like geniuses. The same way that Danny looked like a genius after he made his trades way back when, when he didn't look so smart beforehand. And then the Celtics, who knows what, what becomes of them. So, uh, you know, the, the four different ways of doing it, and who knows what no one can say right now how it's going to turn out, and that what makes it so fun it's it's a great competition among these four teams and they're all trying to do it in their own way and who knows who's right and who's wrong we won't know 
uh, until we were all looking back on it. Yeah, it's obviously obviously going to come down to circumstances. I mean, clearly, I think if the Lakers win the draft lottery this year, that's really going to set them up nicely. And, and obviously, their big coup will be Durant in 2016. But I just think that that's pretty much the only scenario where all those other teams are going to succeed, whereas I just think that the percentages for the Celtics to eventually, I mean, I'm not going to say right here that they're going to win a championship or championships within the next five years. I just think the percentages are greater for them to succeed. I want to touch upon this briefly because I found it pretty interesting. I mentioned in your piece how much Danny Ainge values relationship around the league, particularly when he's making transactions with other teams. It's actually funny because that sort of inspired me to go ask Chris Wallace the other day, who's now GM of the Grizzlies, you know, for my piece on the Jeff Green trade, how he actually mentioned that relationships were overrated and he's just going to make trades that are just solely based on how we're going to improve our team. Could you sort of care or elaborate on how Danny Ainge values his relationship, particularly with many of his former colleagues and teammates that are throughout the league? I, I do think relationships, uh, you know, they, they have – they can – be irrelevant now it's a matter of trust i think that's important where if you can trust a a guy that if you're a gm of one team and you're dealing with another team and you can trust what the the guy's saying to you and you can trust that your negotiations are not going to be leaked to the public you can go into it with that kind of good faith um that makes a difference on the other hand, a lot of these trades today, they get started with text messages, so it couldn't be more impersonal. You know, in those situations, it's just a few words uh, on the screen of your phone, and you're, and you're just reacting to it. And the bottom line is um, the owner of every single team in the NBA is highly involved in all these trades now. So uh, in a way that it didn't used to be. You know, we always used to hear that the owner's – Owners giving, letting their, their GMs do what they want to do, that doesn't exist anymore anywhere in sports. These, these teams are, are worth a billion dollars or more, a lot of them. And the owners spend a lot of money, and there's a high degree of accountability to the owner if it doesn't work out. I mean, it's a very public uh, business to be in. And, and so these owners, they're, they're involved, and, and – uh, whatever relationship a GM has with another GM, it's going to be trumped by his responsibility to his owner and the oversight of his owner and having to convince his owner that this is good for the franchise. So uh, on the one hand, I think that having a good relationship with somebody can help, but I'm sure there are a lot of situations where trades were made uh, between two general managers who absolutely couldn't stand each other. <laughs> it's still, and the trade was still made anyway. And, uh, and it, you know, it's just such a cutthroat league that, that I, I – and, and there's so much pressure from within each organization now to win, and it comes from the top down, from the owner, that, uh, that I, I, I just think it, it probably is overrated a bit, this idea of relationships among, among uh, team executives. Yeah, it's definitely amazing. There's, there really are no more absentee Donald Sterling, um, who was a guy out there for the Chicago Blackhawks. There really are no more of those ownerships in the NBA, at least. And I was definitely sort of surprised when Wallace did say that to me because I, I think you're, I totally agree with you. I don't think it's definitely black and white. I mean, this isn't just an NBA trades thing. This is, I mean, all of us as human beings are generally going to be more inclined to deal with people that we have greater relationships with. But I definitely sort of want to, get on to sort of talking about this summer because I know you had such a good 
long sense of conversation with many members in the organization. In your mind, how aggressive do you feel that the Celtics are going to be in this offseason? Because I think they are going to be fairly aggressive, especially with the salary cap going up in a few years where, I mean, maybe a guy like a Greg Monroe or a Draymond Green, I mean, they're not game changers. But I think that there's going to be a lot of value in terms of the contracts you give them now compared to what the contracts are going to have to give players of those caliber in a few years. Right, yeah. Well, first, I think the Celtics are always aggressive. Danny is always aggressive. and You uh, don't say. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think there won't be any change in that. He'll just be as aggressive as always. Uh, he'll just have more to offer. Uh, and then, uh, you know, let's, let's talk about Greg Monroe, for instance. Let's say you want to be really aggressive with him and, and offer him a max contract this year. Well, everybody in the league is going to know that a max contract today is not going to look anything like a max contract in two years when the salary cap jumps up by a huge amount of money. Um, so uh, you can feel like you're, you're offering Greg Monroe more than you'd actually like, but there's probably going to be several teams that are going to be offering him the same um, amount of money now because they're all looking at the future and seeing that you're getting him for pennies on the dollar compared to what the, the cap's going to be in a few years. So, um, so I, I just think it's the the timing of um, of this new TV money. It's going to make things a bit more difficult for the Celtics. I'm not saying that it's going to ruin everything or that they can't uh, succeed. I, I think we all need to learn from uh, the summer of 2007, looking back on the, the unpredictability of all that, and and see that you shouldn't write anybody off. But uh, this is a variable that, that does not help because it's just created a lot of flexibility for a lot of teams that haven't really earned it. A lot of teams that maybe haven't managed their their salary cap very well or have not uh, been coherent in their strategy for the future, they're all going to get a big bailout when this new TV money comes in. They're all going to be uh, flush with cash. They're going to be under the cap all of a sudden. Uh, not because of their good management, just because the TV money came in. And uh, it's going to even out the playing field. And uh, it's going to, make, it's going to th- make things a little more difficult for the Celtics. Not that they won't be able to overcome it. Not that their draft picks aren't going to have value. It's just going to make things a bit more complicated than we would have thought a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's certainly very concerning. You know, I think that day is going to be coming where you're going to be seeing those bizarre contracts that were handed out in baseball back in the 2000s. There were so many of those players who got overpaid. But it's funny, we actually mentioned relationships. Obviously, Greg Monroe, I mean, his agent, I believe, is you know David Falk, and we know that Danny Ainge and the Celtics organization has a great relationship with David Falk, so that's certainly going to help there. And I also think that with all the assets that the Celtics do have, that could also help them acquire a player like, dare I say, Greg Monroe again, Maybe in a sign-and-trade, obviously. Um, but one thing that I sort of would like to sort of speak about is this playoff push that the Celtics are on. Don't you think that's actually probably going to help? You know, you know, Obviously, it's going to maybe sacrifice percentage points in the ping-pong balls, and I know that makes a certain portion of the fan base very upset, and even members of the media, believe it or not. But isn't that going to help more in the long run in terms of being able to convince a free agent to play here as soon as next summer? I think, uh, you know... Uh, making a playoff run right now and um, uh, making it into the playoffs if if that could be possible 
would be helpful for guys like Marcus Smart and James Young and just to give them that experience uh, and enable them to, uh, to hasten their growth. You know, they, they'd, have, they'd understand what it's all about if they could make it in the playoffs and they'd see how the expectations and the pressure just rise exponentially and that it's so much more important that, that they do their jobs right, that they pay attention, that they read the scouting report, that they know, and they know how the game changes as it goes in the fourth quarter into the final minutes, the matchups, all of that stuff that you can't learn unless you experience it. That experience would be valuable to them. I, I don't think making the playoffs is going to make a difference to a free agent at all. Because if the Celtics make the playoffs, they're going to be eight games under 500. And every player is going to say, well, if you were in the Western Conference, you wouldn't have a prayer. And you're not one of the top 16 teams, you know, overall. So I, I don't think it's going to help uh, the fr- help them with free agents so much. Um, but I, I think – and I don't think it's going to hurt them in the draft either. I don't think they should be thinking at all uh, – as, as you hinted there, Larry, they shouldn't be thinking at all. I'm agreeing with you about about the lottery and and trying to improve uh, their position in the lottery because they have enough draft picks already. And if they want to move up, they can aggregate those and try to make a deal to move up and get the player that they like. So they should just be worrying about, which I think they are, they should just be worrying about growing within and giving these guys as much valuable winning experience as possible as opposed to the teams that think about tanking and are teaching their players how to lose. I I like where the Celtics are going in that respect for sure. Yeah, I think I want to go back to your comments, sort of how it's about free agents saying, seeing the Celtics, oh, you made the playoffs eight games under 500. I mean, I think a lot of these players have short memories. And I think the example I'd like to use is when the Pacers made the playoffs in 2011, they were 10 games under 500, but like I said, the lasting memory of them that season was them taking a 60-plus win Chicago Bulls team. You know, it, was, it went five games, but it was a very competitive series. I mean, I think it's one thing, obviously, if the Celtics make the playoffs against Atlanta and lose four games by 20-plus points, as they, as they infamously did against the Pacers back in 2004. But if they made the postseason and, and put on a good performance and won a game or, or two, or let alone take it to seven, I think that would sort of change the perception because that very much led David West to signing with Indiana a few years ago because he looked at Indiana as a team on the rise. I could see that, Larry, for sure. Yeah, yeah, no. If something unexpected like that happened, um, and if if a couple of their young players look like the next Paul George, then, uh, you know, Roy Hibbert, uh, you know, Lance Stevenson, um, you, the, the Pacers had a number of very promising young players. I don't know if anybody's talked about the Celtics in those terms. Maybe, maybe they could show something in the playoffs to, to create that kind of um, charisma for some of their young guys. Right now I don't see it. I think that's a year away. Um, but if it were to happen, that, that would be tremendous for them for sure. Yeah, I want to definitely sort of wrap this up here on this because we've had you here for quite some time and we really appreciate it. How realistic do you think that the playoffs are going to be? Because I personally, I mean, they're playing, you know, they're playing pretty well right now. But, and I love it. I mean, obviously as a fan, I love it. But I, I'm, I'm concerned that I think this team is going to run out of gas because this is a very busy month of March and they're starting to play a lot of games and there's really no rest between now and the end of the season. And I think that's what's going to eventually bite the Celtics team. 
How realistic, I mean, if you want to, say, play the percentage game, how realistic do you think them grabbing that seventh or eighth seed is? You know, it, it, well, they're right there. Um, it's probably, I, I would say they're not the favorite, for sure. Uh, you know, of the three or four teams that have a chance at it, um, those other teams are desperate to make the playoffs. I mean, Miami is desperate to make the playoffs, and Charlotte made it last year, and they're desperate to get back in. They're, and, and obviously the Nets, they have no future. They're, they're all about trying to make the playoffs. Uh, we know whose future they will want. <laughs> we don't want exactly. to get into that. So, exactly. So, so those are not teams that are, are building for the future. They're trying to, to uh, get there right now. And the Celtics have a different perspective. Now, it's not to say that that, that's, that means anything to the young players in the Celtics. Those guys want to win every game that they're in, and they want to make the playoffs. Um, and maybe the youth of the Celtics helps them get through this, this tough last stretch of the year, more so than the older players of the other teams. And, and who's going to be injured on, on the way into the, the playoffs? Who, who's going to be the healthiest team? Um, it, would do, it would do the Celtics a lot of good to make the playoffs uh, and to, to win the stretch drive. It would, it would do what you were talking about just a minute ago as far as the Pacers. It would, it would uh, create a new point of view on the future of this team and some of the young players. If Marcus Smart elevated his game during the stretch run or Kelly Olenek played with some more fire and uh, that kind of stuff, that, that would be a huge thing for the Celtics. Based on the players they've given away and the, the experience of, the young, of their young roster, you know, you have to say that they're not the favorites, but, but they also have an opportunity here that, that would just be amazing for them if they were able to seize on it. Yeah, not only that, obviously. I mean, you mentioned players like Kelly Olenek getting experience. It also, you know, would certainly increase their trade value if we want to get into that. Oh, no, no, for sure. No, it would only be good for everybody, and it would increase – the value of their next contracts as young players, it would, it would be good for everybody, you know, and it, it wouldn't be a matter of, Oh, if I, if I, um, if I play well now, they're going to want to trade me. No, it, it would make them more valuable. It, it would, and all, I think every player in the league, it's an ambivalent thing where, you know, you don't want to read your name in the trade rumors, but it's also very flattering to read your name in the trade rumors. If it's because other teams want you, that's a great that's a great position for a young player to be in. So, um, I, there's there's no downside to them, you know, in this in this era where we talk a lot about tanking. There's no downside at all for the Celtics trying to go for this and and trying to get themselves into the playoffs. And the fact that after all that they've been through this year and all the trades, uh, uh, you know, it, it seemed like every time Danny traded away one of his bigger names, the, the team played better. And so after all they've been through for them to, to be in a, a, a shot for the playoffs, as bad as the East is for them still to, to be in a shot for the playoffs, I think that's a, that's a very promising thing for the team going forward. Yeah, I, I would definitely want to wrap this up. I'm definitely very impressed with it as well because this team has been through so much adversity with all the trades and all the roster turmoil that, I mean, it just, for the, I think that, Definitely creates a lot of mental fortitude on the team. And just to make one sort of one final point before we let you go, 
this season, when I was in, you know, doing some interviews for the book, Follow the Boston Celtics, I was talking to a lot of players on that 2001 Celtics team, uh, which was the team that fired Rick Pitino midseason. And they finished the season 27 and 27. They didn't make the playoffs, but they played relevant games at the end of the year. And that really carried over into that next year where they went on to that run to the Eastern Conference Finals. And a lot of players on that team specifically mentioned to me how playing those relevant games at the end of the season was truly beneficial and created a lot of momentum into that next season. Yeah, and I saw this with the Indiana Pacers too. Um, you know, when they when they were missing the playoffs in those years with their young roster and Larry Bird was in charge of the team, they would go on winning streaks at the end of the season when their own fans wanted them to lose those games to improve their place in the lottery. But Larry Bird would say um, that's it's not helpful to lose games. It's giving we're we're counting on the young players on this roster to become championship contenders someday, and they're not going to learn that lesson if we're trying to lose games. They need to be winning these games. It's more important than the draft pick, and, and you can see that that paid off for them, um, that they they were an overachieving team because of that, and they made it to the conference finals, and they gave Miami a good run of it, uh, and it was it surely helped them to have that experience that you're talking about. So so I definitely agree with you that, that, it, would, that it would only help the Celtics. Definitely a great way to close us out. Ian Thompson, NBA.com. Definitely go out and check his piece on NBA.com if you haven't. It's called Danny Ainge's Balancing Act. You can follow Ian on Twitter, at Ian Thompson. Ian, thanks so much for joining us on Celtics Beat. Hey, Larry, and let's give a shout-out to Mike Rotundi, the number one Celtics fan out there forever. And I know he listens to the show. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we all love him, and, uh, and I appreciate being on with you, Larry. Thanks very much. No, thank you very much. So glad we can make it happen. Thank you, Ian. Take care. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Where do we start? Well, that Pacers comparison, I think that is the perfect parallel in all this. Not just now and how this season is playing out, but in the offseason, too. I mentioned David West, and I used that example for the Celtics in free agency this summer, which I believe the Celtics will be very aggressive in. And if the Celtics somehow do make the playoffs, and as I stated, because of all these games that are piling up, I do think the odds are against that. I'm very concerned with this team they'll eventually hit a bit of a wall and run out of gas. I hope I'm wrong, but that's just my prediction. But if they do, and if they put on a good performance, it'd change the whole vantage point of the outlook of this franchise to player agents and the players themselves. Like Indiana in 2011, like I brought up, this wouldn't be just another 36-46 and 46 team like the Pacers were in 11, but instead a team that's on the rise. You know, Indiana took the team with the best record in the NBA record rise to five games, but it was five tough competitive games. They all went down to the wire. And David West and other players, they saw the Pacers as a team on the rise rather than just some you know, middle-of-the-pack NBA team that the Pacers technically were back then because I think they were at 36 and 46 a year. So that, of course, and that's obviously why West chose the Pacers. And obviously we all remember the, the deal with the Celtics. Of course, obviously... The Celtics had some technicalities they had to work out in that deal, getting a third team to take Jermaine O'Neal in that sign-and-trade that ended up not working out. But that allowed that situation to drag on, which in turn further exposed West to the Celtics and Pacers situation. And actually, I'll let this out now. I've heard from the grapevine that word got out to David West in his camp that Rajon Rondo was a cancer. He was throwing TVs around in team meetings. He tanked many games the second half of that season after they traded his boy Kendrick Perkins. And that actually ended up souring West, and that combined with 
Obviously, the other things um, sort of further pushed West to back out of that three-year, $27 million contract that he initially sort of agreed to with the Celtics, then to eventually take that two-year, $20 million deal he had with the up-and-coming Pacers team. But that's a story for another day, I guess. So, uh, hey, you know, Lakers, feel free to enjoy Rajon Rondo for the next however many years. You When you foolishly sign him this offseason, no matter what the price. Anyways, totally agree with Mr. Thompson about how valuable winning right now is. From improving these players on the team to enhancing the Celtics brand of players around the league. You heard members of the Grizzlies after that game on Wednesday just laud the Celtics effort and willpower after that game. So I suggest to our listeners to go to youtube.com slash Radio to check out all those raw uncut vid out from the locker room. So to showcasing the very unique atmosphere that the TD Garden has as well to players on the team players and then around the league to the entire media and NBA community as well. That's a big, it's a big factor, you know, home games and that Boston crowd that this year, or at least recently, in my opinion, has just been absolutely terrific. I mean, if you haven't been down in the garden yet this season and you live in the area, boy, I strongly suggest making a voyage or two before this fun season comes to an end here. But back to what we're talking about winning that's definitely such an advantage of that there's an advantage now playing relevant basketball games down the stretch of the season an even greater advantage of getting into the playoffs and putting on a good performance on how many games you end up playing on national television and getting the opportunity to have that showcase because with you heard with me and you heard with ian i think the Celtics are going to be very aggressive in free agency and if they're going to go after one of the premier free agents on the market i.e greg monroe They're going to need every edge they can get because, as Ian said, with the salary cap rising in a few years, there's going to be a lot of suitors out out there this year to sign max little free agents like Monroe because those contracts are going to be bargains in a few years. And the Celtics certainly have an edge with the organization's relationship with Monroe's agent, David Falk, which stemmed from the team's classy treatment of Jeff Green back a few years ago. And they have an advantage in that they have a boatload of assets that could aid in a possible sign and trade with the Pistons. So obviously playing more relevant basketball would be a better situation to sell to a guy like Monroe or any other player this summer that Boston could pursue. You know, dare I say it, that Kevin Love guy or someone like a Draymond Green who at Michigan State and now the Warriors has been in nowhere but winning situations for the majority of his basketball life. So, and yes, by the way, I'm totally driving this Greg Monroe train. I mean, barring some scenario where the Celtics can make a transformative addition, such as fluking into winning the NBA's draft lottery or maybe ponying up to acquire a DeMarcus Cousins, I just think putting Monroe at the four and, in effect, replacing Seliger and upgrading to Monroe, who's pretty much the player we all want Sully to be, I mean, I think that this is a right now a mediocre team, 34, 38 wins. However, they're going to finish. I think you put Monroe alone to this team, that right there, boom, I, I think catapults you to about a 45-win team. So just in that, he changed the whole complexion of the offense and adds such an imperative scoring dynamic down low, which in turn would just open up so many things for all the other players on the court, let alone the work that he can do on the glass, which is always a plus for any team. And also, let's also, I think we should definitely mention that he plays 80 games a season, as opposed to Jared Sollinger, who's been knocked out of two of the last three seasons. So, And yeah, I know his defense isn't there, and I think ideally you get a dynamite defensive center to play alongside him to mask that deficiency in his game, but I'm just so on board. He would be a part of the process of this organization's goal of slowly building this team from the ground up. You know, Last year and early this year, the Celtics, in a word, they were horrific. Now it's safe to say they're in that mediocre category, and I think Monroe 
I think he's one guy who would aid the progression, and him alone would take this team from a mediocre to good team to a good team. And then you go from there. Obviously, jumping from good to great, that's the biggest and that's the hardest leap of them all, but that's a bridge you cross when you get there. Either that or there is that opportunity for a real franchise operating move, whether it be through a trade or two, as there infamously was back in the summer of 2007, and as we all know, Danny Ainge, Wick Rosebeck, and the rest of the Boston Celtics organization, they will be ready for that. There's no question about that. So to the fans, I mean, sit back and enjoy. And me, as a Celtics fan myself, I'm very happy we can thoroughly enjoy this process now. It's definitely a far cry from what fans of the Knicks or the Lakers, let alone the Sixers, are going through. You know, I know one of those teams may win the lottery and snag Okafor, and inevitably, inevitably there's going to be that short-sighted portion of the fan base that'll complain and say, ah, oh, that's what the Celtics should have done. They should have tanked and, uh, you know, uh, won the lottery. And, of course, ignoring the outcomes of all the other teams in the draft lottery and what they had to go through. But besides, I mean, is this – unless you are <laughs> guaranteed uh, winning that lottery, is that really worth it? I know there are Celtics fans – Boston fans, sports fans in general, who take such pride in their sports teams and believe it's all about personal bragging rights with their fellow sports fans of opposing teams. But come on, let's be real, guys. This is entertainment. This is leisure. This is to distract us from some of the hardships of life. This is to, to make us happy. So if you really regret what the Celtics are doing and rue the fact that this organization isn't dragging their fan base through the streets of Fallujah to get where they want to get to like the Sixers are doing... Well, then I really don't have anything to say to that. To the rest, um, you know, let's keep rolling, guys. Let's keep enjoying what we're seeing out of the season with the Boston Celtics. And I mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers, by the way. They'll be here in Boston Monday night. Would be a good sign to see the Celtics just simply take care of business at home. I think that's a bit of a trap game, by the way. It could be a, a letdown. Monday night, they're starting to play a lot of games. They could, you know, may they not be able to dig deep to really get it. Philly's playing a little better than they did at the very beginning of the season. And it's sort of meshed in there between some tough road contests with Oklahoma City and the Spurs later in the week. And I just obviously have to remind you, remember CNS Radio will be live following all those games against Philly, Oklahoma City, San Antonio, live after the game on clnsradio.com with the postgame show. Call into the network and get your voices heard. And with that, let's pause briefly for station identification and wrap this baby up with Around the NBA in five. This is Jeff Kane, and thank you for listening to CNLS Radio, powered by Lynda.com, Peak Organic Brewing Company, and most importantly, you, our loyal listeners. Patriots Nation and NFL fans, you know free agency is upon us. CNLS Radio will have you covered with our online content on CNLSradio.com, as well as on the Patriots Beat podcast, available for download every Friday on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't let your head spin out of control. Get the NFL coverage and Patriots coverage you need right here on CLS Radio and CLSRadio.com. Thanks, Jeff. I tell you what, my head's spinning out of control. Uh, it's pretty hard to complain about the New England Patriots, you know, four championships since the new millennium. However, geez, I mean, it took them a decade to win another one, and they finally got the best secondary they've had in such a long time, and it was tough to see them break it up. I mean, compared... I compared these Patriots to the infamous Wayne Huizenga Florida Marlins of uh, 1997 when they infamously purchased a World Series and then broke it up after that, after that season because of their bandwagon fans down there in South Beach were filling Pro Player Stadium to half capacity that entire season while they were on that championship chase. 
Pitch don't have that excuse, so it was tough, tough, tough seeing them take a major step back when if they just simply return the same team, they were the clear-cut favorites to at least get back there, especially with how weak the AFC is, and it would have hurt them in the future, there's no doubt about it, but when you've got a chance to just take a Super Bowl or lock yourself up for a Super Bowl appearance, you just do it. I thought the Patriots learned that lesson when they used 2006 as a bridge season, and the next thing they knew, they found themselves in the AFC Championship game in Indy, and they had to trot Rache Caldwell out there, and we all know what happened. So let's not get into that. Let's get back to Celtics beat here, back to basketball, around the NBA in five. Got to talk about that game back on Thursday night on TNT. What a phenomenal game. What a phenomenal performance by Kyrie Irving, 57 points. Cavs over the world champion San Antonio Spurs, 128 to 125 in overtime. Last week with Tass Mellis, and even without Tass Mellis on the, on the rest of the show, we kind of complain how the games don't mean as much or as mean as much as they should in the regular season. Can't say about that game on Thursday, and that's sort of what I was alluding to. But that that was just that was some really good entertainment here in, in the middle of March, which is what you really don't see here in the NBA. In Cleveland, uh, they keep they're getting so they're racking up some solid solid victories. I stuck with them really all year. A lot of people were a little worried about them early on. They thought they had some chemistry issues. I knew it was going to take a little time for them to gel. I thought they'd be much better than what they were, and I didn't think it would take that long, but they're dangerous, and that is going to be an amazing Eastern Conference Finals against Atlanta. It sort of reminds me of LeBron in his first go-around with Cleveland and his matchups with Detroit, albeit with a far inferior roster. But I'm I anticipate a really good series against Atlanta. I think Cleveland's going to come out on top. But I think it's going to be a little more competitive than what I initially thought. Even a month ago, I thought Cleveland would just sort of roll over the Hawks. I think that's the Hawks. They're, they're legitimate. Let's say about that. Speaking of legitimate, Russell Westbrook, another triple-double on Friday night. Although accusations of lobbying for certain statistics. Hey, as long as it doesn't get in his head, I guess, because he's playing exceptional basketball right now. He's one of the three or four best players in the NBA at least this season, but as long as it doesn't devolve into an Anthony Bowie or Ricky Davis type situation, I think we're all set there. And I know it's definitely a far cry. Everyone's going to bring up Larry Bird and talk about how he rested himself. I think it was a game against the Jazz back in the early 80s when he took himself out of the game when he was like a steal away from a triple-double, from, excuse me, a quadruple-double. But... I say keep doing what you're doing, Russell Westbrook, because he's really been the one who's been just carrying the thunder this season, and that is just going to be a dangerous, dangerous team out west. Speaking of not-so-dangerous team, how about the Dallas Mavericks? We're going to start. Rick Carlisle is now crediting Rondo's quote-unquote play-calling growth, whatever in the world that means, because outside of blowing out the Griffinless Clippers up on Friday night. Dallas has really fallen flat on their face recently. They still have a pretty big cushion for the playoffs, so we're not going to see a 2002 Milwaukee Bucks type collapse. But wow, you saw earlier in the week Amari Stoudemire, Tyson Chandler, they came out to vent really about the whole situation. Rondo has just pillaged that team, and it's such an indictment on him as a person seeing the chemistry on this Celtics team evolve to what it has evolved in. And then seeing what's been happening in Dallas and just watching that team implode because the, the, bef- the before and after offensive efficiency numbers with Rondo are just staggering. So all I got to say is good luck, Los Angeles Lakers, with that next year, having him as your point guard. And good luck being able to sell 
playing Kevin Durant alongside him. He, Rajon Rondo, as I mentioned earlier, he cost Celtics David West. He probably cost him a few other players. I guess he's going to cost the Lakers Kevin Durant, so no fun there, at least for them. Moving along, we mentioned the Clippers. Blake Griffin might return against the Houston Rockets today in the afternoon game. Outside of Friday night, the Clippers really hung in there without him pretty well. A lot of people in Celtics Nation really high-fiving each other when he went out because Boston owns their draft choice, obviously, in that Doc Rivers compensation package back during the summer of 2013. But DeAndre Jordan, I mean, Doc Rivers, he's really been lauding him over the past two years. I remember specifically my conversation with Michael Smith regarding him, but he really took his game to another level in the absence of Griffin. And Los Angeles, I say watch out for them. Now they're getting Griffin back. He should be fairly re- he should be rested. He should be fairly healthy. He's been out for a long period of time. I know every team out west is sort of going to be the team du jour. And Golden State is unequivocally, in my opinion, the clear favorites. They've been by far the best team in the NBA all year. They have a double-digit point differential, which is very rare in the history of the NBA. It's only been done by five or six teams, including the 2008 Boston Celtics. But Golden State and Los Angeles had a phenomenal first-round playoff series last year. I'm going to say those teams are going to meet somewhere along the line. I picked the Clippers actually to represent the Western Conference at the beginning of the season. Am I going to stick with it? I guess I will, but that's going to be a tough task taking down Golden State. But great series last year. I think it could be only that much better this year. Definitely worth keeping an eye on and keeping your ears on this show as well because, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's it. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock. Chuck Dietz, Ostravex, and Steph Legrato. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore beat. You can like Celtics beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show at facebook.com slash Celtics beat. You can also check us out on Google Plus, Celtics beat on CLNS. Love to thank our guest, Ian Thompson of NBA.com. That was a great conversation. Definitely got to give a shout out to our sponsors, lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash CLNS, as well as Peak Organic Brewing Company for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.